So episode 23, uh, back to the stories with Chuck. We're staying in the house in Vancouver. Uh, there's only me and Tom and Chuck. Uh, we're still, I mean, we still see Fiona. We decided to head out to Kelowna to, there was a couple of reasons. One is uh, Fiona knew some people at a commune in Kelowna or just outside of Kelowna and she wanted to connect with them. They, so we we were going to do that. Plus we wanted to pick some fruit. Like Chuck had money. He wasn't worried. He was dealing drugs and stuff. But the rest of us, we didn't really have any way of making money. So, so that was a motivation to head out to Kelowna, to the Okanagan and pick some fruit. So we took off. It would have been August, September, something like that. And went to uh, Kelowna. We went to this commune where Fiona had some... Uh, some friends, in particular one one friend who was a, a woman. We stayed there a while and picked some apples in the area. And as we got there, the, there was a difference between that commune and other communes I had been involved with. There was something destitute about it. Like, it was dark. It was um, not witchcraft dark. Maybe, maybe witchcraft dark, but it was dark. We ended up going there and staying there uh, to as our home base, and then we got jobs first picking apples after we were there for a while uh, picking apples we ended up going to Kamloops and I think that's where we picked cherries we went to Kamloops because Chuck had some friends out there that were at another commune it was a small piece of property it wasn't a lot of property and the, the house we were in was really old in Kelowna and not very comfortable not really very artistic like a lot of communes tended towards being artistic. This one didn't have much aesthetic, is the word. Uh, and, you know, that is definitely one of the things that makes for quality of life, aesthetic. And it's also one of the things that can't be explained. A person that believes that science can explain everything, there's no explaining the desire for for the aesthetic for artistic, for art, for music. Not only the desire, but the ability to, to do those things. But it seemed like there was a bit of a falling out with Fiona and Chuck at that time. It, uh, it ha I, I think it had been happening throughout, just in that she wasn't around near as much as when they were on the West Coast out in Rec Bay. They seemed quite fond of each other there and it slowly they their relationship was moving apart so um we went to Kamloops now coming into Kamloops like coming into Kamloops then was like coming into Merritt now Merritt's kind of a junction between now that the Coquihalla Highway is in it's a junction between uh, Kelowna or a or Kamloops you make your choice what kept Kamloops on the map at all was it rail junction i think three different railroads come in or leave that place however you, however you view it and it's on two rivers like it's actually a really good place to to have a city but it didn't grow up real fast there in the 70s it was kind of small and real like it was old like it was founded a long time ago because of the rivers and the railways but it never became a city of its own right at that at that point and grew into quite a city now and they they have uh, their own issues with homelessness and drug use and theft and a lot the same kind of stuff a lot of western cities are suffering from 
So anyway, we went to uh, this commune in uh, Kamloops, or outside of Kamloops. It was on a bigger piece of property and seemed definitely more aesthetic. More, There was something nicer about it. It was a bigger piece of property for one, and it was open, whereas the one in uh, Kelowna was like you drove up this this hill, I guess, you know, I don't, I'm reluctant to call it a mountain, though that may have been what it was called. <laughs> you drove up this hill and it was dirt roads and it, not very pleasant accessing the, the property. Whereas in Kamloops, uh, it was a nice open property and it was easy to access. And once you got on there, the buildings that were there were not aesthetically displeasing. There was still some, you know, well, recycle was in was the name of the game. There wasn't new. So there was some good hippie artifact there, good good hippie craft and art, artistic expression. The gist of being there was that these guys were also drug dealers, and this is, this is the culture that Chuck was part of this drug dealing culture. These guys, they were all kind of the same, you know. They're kind of... There's something nice about them, and they're cool people. And then on the other hand, if they're into selling chemicals and stuff, there's something, there's a, almost a lack of character in them. Like, Or maybe it's just pure hedonism and, and selfish selfishness that goes beyond what a, would have been normal then. It's quite common today. Again, I mentioned Nietzsche last time, like as we've as we as a culture have embraced the the, the existential uh, philosophy, so many different kinds of philosoph- modern philosophies have affected the way we, we view the world. But there's this behavior uh, that uh, comes out of that where we begin to believe that nothing else matters but them, right? So that's, that's, was, that was, it was starting then. People were talking about Nietzsche in the 70s and they were talking about existentialism. We went and picked cherries. So we picked cherries all day, maybe even two or three days. And then when we got paid, I remember after it was a Friday and after picking fruit all day, the guys wanted to go have a beer. Now I, I was 12, so I wasn't going inside any pub to have a beer. So they pulled up to this pub. Well, they weren't even called pubs then. Rarely did you find a pub. It was a bar. So we pulled up to the bar. Chuck said, you know, just, you got to hang out here. We're going to go have a couple of beer. And it was like, yeah, whatever. That's my plight. Well, Tom smuggled a beer out to me. This Tom did stuff like this often. I had an interesting relationship with him and, and, and Chuck. It was quite interesting, and I, uh, yet you know, as a child, as a kid, I liked them both, and they seemed to like each other, except that they were often. It's almost like Tom was Chuck's conscience. He brought me a beer and a, a bag of chips. Chuck replenished his supply of uh, MDA on the way home. We we were taking so much of it. We took like what should have taken four or five hours took a couple three days to get back to Vancouver. We went back to pick up Fiona, and she's made the decision that she's going to stay in Kelowna on that on the commune there and uh, it wasn't a pleasant exchange between Chuck and Fiona it never got violent or anything but it wasn't it wasn't nice <laughs> it was unpleasant and again Tom just kind of took me out of there and said you know we don't need to be part of this so him him included anyway we we ended up taking off I don't remember getting any money out of that 
pay. I, I probably got some. They probably gave me 20 or 30 bucks, and the rest of it probably went to Chuck because it was his van, and it was he was feeding me, you know. As we um, <clears throat> took off again, I mentioned we some MDA, and we stopped. And we had a trip right there on the side of the highway. It was a two-lane highway. It wasn't a four-lane. It was right beside a river. We just tripped out after the experience. Like MDA doesn't, the experience of MDA doesn't last as long as uh, the experience of LSD. But it's, I mean, it's significant. It was whatever, six, seven hours. But you get to a point where you, you can function without being too crazy. So you can live, you know, go live as though you're a normal person <laughs> but uh, as I came down from that it, it was like it had been days we'd been doing again a lot of MDA and it had been days and I when we came down I was just severely depressed severely depressed I had this heavy weight on me of depression I don't remember specifics although I remember that's the only time in my life I ever remember contemplating suicide. I did not entertain the thought, but I contemplated it. It's almost like, again, Tom knew what was going on. And I was standing out in the middle of this creek. So this would have been August, September. So still fairly warm. I was standing in the middle of this creek. The creek was beautiful. It was like those mountain creeks, they're the water so clear, a bluey, a clear blue, white caps, frothy white caps. But it wasn't that deep. So anyway, he came, he walked out into the water where I was standing and he said uh, something like, how are you doing? And we ended up having a very deep conversation. And he, that conversation was a conversation that actually, I had already been interested in philosophical ideas and that Whatever whatever the specifics of the conversation were, he got me contemplating life on a different level. It was not religious at all, but just more about logic and love and relationships. It uh, definitely made an impact on who I, who I am today. I remember the instance clearly. I don't remember the conversations. The conversation is clearly, but I do remember the impact. In the last week, I started reading the uh, Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. It's a, it's a pretty amazing book. It exposes the depth of depravity that communism manifested in Russia. I, some people attribute that book to the downfall of Russia, to the coming down of the wall, because of what it did was it when he wrote that book and it got published to the free world, he began the speaking circuit. And it exposed what people thought was happening in Russia, but it exposed the truth of it. The gulags, the, the prisons, the, the way that the citizenry was tr treated, uh, the lack of food and resources, the greed, the corruption. You know, I guess it, in a global way, people began to resist uh, Russia. I think there was always some of that, but at the same time that Nietzsche was being touted in schools. Marx was, Karl Marx was being touted in schools, as was Freud and Darwin. These are all, I'm going to call them contemporaries. I think one of them that was actually younger than the other guys, I, I can't remember exactly. But in reading that book, in picking it up and, uh, and, and starting to read it, I got a uh, 
audible copy of it as well so I listen while I read which makes it quite a bit easier it keeps keeps you going through the, it becomes in a book that size it becomes easy not to uh, to read along but to just listen well it's not just it wasn't just Gulag Archipelago it was also just some of the scripture reading I've been doing lately and understanding like understanding anger the fact that anger of itself isn't a bad thing how we manifest it, what we do with it. Do we internalize it? Uh, whereas if you let anger take over and control you, you experience it immediately. That's unpleasant. Recognizing that so many people have a problem with acknowledging that one of God's attributes is anger, that there's such a thing as righteous anger. We all know that's there. There's no debating that. And so also justice requires judgment to think that God would judge how, how can those things be loving? Well, if we look at ourselves and how we are with our own children and loved ones, love requires judgment and it requires anger sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it does. Righteous anger. And there's, a, there's a one more thing. And this one is probably even more detestable to a secular mind or the non-believer's understanding. And that is the jealousy of God. And that's one of the things, like I can remember clearly Oprah stating that any God that would be jealous, I want no part of. Well, that makes Oprah God, so that's great. And that fits right in with the whole Nietzschean idea of existentialism and independence. And, and it fits right in the the current uh, postmodern philosophy that's predominant. Some people say that it's waning, that, that idea of postmodernism, but it's it's embedded in a lot of what we believe and think now in the West meaninglessness of words, narrative being a, a means to power, no such thing as absolute truth. In fact, no such thing as truth at all. You make it up for yourself, basically, so that's how you get where you can have your truth and I'll have my truth. It's just whatever fits your narrative, right? So these are these are the things that have undermined the good and strong and lovely things about the free world, freedom, independence, liberty, the U.S., Canada, the United Kingdom. We've seen the deterioration of all of those, I'm going to call them godly gifts to a nation, to have its people live free, to have liberty and, and prosperity, you know, the good that was done. There's always bad. Humans are bad. We do bad things. But the good, now we have in both nations, people hate their countries, both Canada and the U.S., which are the two that I'm involved in. People actually hate their country. People move to the country hating the country, hoping to take it down. We live oblivious to to that ideology permeating our, our culture and our society. With regards to godly jealousy, it's a really interesting one because any list of deadly sins that you may have read in your life, that would be human traits that are deadly to one's character, even perhaps their physical selves. In any of those lists, seven deadly sins or whatever, jealousy is one of the most destructive characteristics. And yet, the Bible says that God is a jealous God. So, I think it behooves us to determine what the difference is between godly jealousy and jealousy that is bad, a sin. Because obviously, though the word is the same, the meaning is different. There's scripture like the, the the first part of scripture that i can remember where the jealousy of god is make, mentioned is in uh, exodus 20 i think it is it's the 10 commandments and the first commandment says you shall have no other god but me and then it 
it goes on to describe God as, and use the word jealous. I'm a jealous God. So to um, elaborate on the, I'm a holy and jealous God. There's a story in the Old Testament, it's First Samuel, which talks about the very first king of of Israel. And his name was Saul. The story comes out of the people of Israel crying out to God to give them a king. It was God's desire to uh, be their king, uh, that they would be different from the other nations and that God would lead them and they would obey him and he would protect them and he would provide for them. He would do the things that a king does for his nation. And the people uh, of Israel continuously fell under that arrangement. They continuously were adulterous to their king. They sought other gods. When God made a statement that he was a jealous God, he spoke of his, it was it was him speaking of his love, his undying and unending love. It, it wasn't an envious kind of jealousy. So to that story, Saul, almost immediately after becoming king, became arrogant and vain and and turned away from listening to God himself and following the dictates of God or the direction of God, which were given to him by the prophets and primarily by Samuel, the prophet Samuel. And he began to do things that were outside of the purview of the king. Uh, So he began to do the things that were assigned to the priests. And for God's reasons, which later become more apparent as you get into the New Testament, which is the difference between the New and the Old and how they work together. It's so cool. Um, But um, God at one point says, "I'm, I'm stripping you of, you're not, you're not my king. You can't listen to me. You can't obey me. Your heart is not after me. Your heart is after yourself. You're out to take care of yourself. So at that point, he raises up King David. He begins to raise up King David. David is but a child. He's maybe 15, 14, 15, 16, when he first enters the picture. So, and that's the, that goes into the story of uh, David and Goliath. The stories in First and Second Samuel, and there's a, all the stories in the Bible aren't necessary chronological. Sometimes they'll jump around. So it, it gets confusing if you don't understand that. But it turns out that at one point, David, after slaying Goliath, David becomes, he becomes the joy of the people more so than Saul. And so Saul becomes jealous. So it's an envious kind of jealousy where he envies David and believes that David is stealing what is rightfully his, which is the kingdom for one, but the love of the people. So that's how he's stealing the kingdom. He's stealing the love of the people. And God's hand is on David. So there's this envious jealousy, and he envies, and it's a, it's a, it's a jealousy uh, not of born of love, but born of envy and selfishness. And then in the New Testament, in Second Corinthians, this is the second letter that Paul is writing to the Corinthians, and he rebuking them and, and admonishing them not to invoke the jealousy of God. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me, for I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid that 
As the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So that godly jealousy, this this jealousy isn't one of envy. This jealousy, he's jealous for them to, to love, to continue to love Christ, to, to continue to invest their life in Christ. This is godly jealousy. Like he uses that word godly because he knows like I said before, I mean, any other time in the Bible, or not, unless it's referring to God's jealousy, jealousy is a sin because we as humans tend towards selfishness and, and envy and, and that kind of jealousy is deadly. Dr. Timothy Keller, a couple years ago, he did a, he did a study on jealousy, the jealousy of God. And um, I'm trying to remember how he worded it. He said, godly jealousy is a jealousy that moves to stop the extinction of love. And human jealousy or angry, sinful jealousy is a jealousy of the extinction of love. In that story of Saul and David, Saul initially loved David. He loved David as his own son, but that love turned to hatred. Whereas in the story of Paul, he loved the people the Corinthians and that love was intensified by his jealousy f- for them he was put there's anger in both he was pushing for them to not turn their backs on the Lord Jesus that he had introduced them to so I don't know th- th- there's a lot you can study about jealousy just like there's a lot you can study about godly uh, anger or godly fear like fears another one where we we're often told fear not fear not throughout the bible we're told not to fear and yet there is this paradoxical command where we're told to fear god so they understand the differences in the in the fear in the anger and in the jealousy these things are they come out of the purity of god which like i said last week who is primarily holy a holy 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 god i don't know i mean as i as i wander down the trail of philosophy as I wander down the trail of introspection, I always end up back at who is God and how does God play into my life and how does God play into the situation I'm in. It's important to understand out of all of it, all of, all the reading, that God is God. He is true. He is a true God. He is the true God. And when we live in a culture as we do where virtually everything is relativistic, even the, this consumerist culture, which I've talked about before, where it's, it's relative. You, you form your own belief systems, and that's an insult to God. That invokes God's jealousy, because that is, again, back to, I, I used the word adulterous before, I think, where as you begin to elevate anything above our relationship with God, anything, and it can be a good thing, my marriage, my children, as you elevate anything above your relationship with God, then that becomes an idol, and that making anything an idol is making it a god small g god that is adulterous in your relationship to god (sighs) these things i'm saying they don't fit in the culture in the narrative that we have in our culture today so they're counterculture counterintuitive to the psyche of the culture to the way that the culture thinks and lives and acts anyway if you got any questions i'd love to help you find the answers you know like we can delve into it together Um, feel free hit me up anyway see you next time peace out
I'll come back to you. 